This episode is brought to you by Thorn, the industry leader in nutritional solutions. Now, Thorn is actually trusted by eight U.S. national teams and championship teams in the NFL, NBA, and Major League, as well as recently becoming the official sports performance nutrition partner of the UFC. So when it comes to supplements... The tactical athlete space and the athletic space need two things. We need efficacy, meaning the products do what they say they're going to do on the label. And then we need to trust the fact that we are not going to fail either athletic drug tests or work-related drug tests. Now, Thorne has actually been around since the 1980s, where they were used by physicians and hospitals for nutritional supplements for the patients. They were so successful that athletic teams and even special operations teams reached out to them and they started supplying them as well. Very recently, they actually opened their doors to the general public. Now, what sets Thorne apart is they manufacture their own products in a state-of-the-art NSF-certified facility in South Carolina. They use only the purest possible ingredients formulated with no stearates or arbitrary fillers in the cleanest manufacturing process. Most of you listening come from a profession where it can take its toll physically and mentally, and many of us are not able to bolster our nutrition purely with the food that we eat. And that's where supplementation comes in. So if you're ready to maximize your health and performance, visit thorn.com, T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Take a short product quiz to be paired up with the perfect health and fitness supplements. And for you, the audience, if you use the code BTS10, behind the shield 10, BTS10, you will get 10% off your first order. And if you want to learn even more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of Behind the Shield podcast and you will hear my interview with Wes Barnett and Joel Totoro from Thorn. This episode is sponsored by 511 Tactical, a company who I've used for well over a decade now and who are reaching out to you guys, the audience, to offer you 15% not only off one purchase but an ongoing 15% that will only ever be trumped if something is even for sale for a higher discount than that 15%. I'm going to give you that discount code in just a moment, but I want to talk about another product and showcase that, and that is the AMP, which is the All Missions Pack. So what they've done with this, they've taken an extremely comfortable backpack, you know, hiking quality with some incredible webbing and straps to really even out that load, but they've added what they call the gear set. I think this is extremely pertinent for us because we are jack-of-all-trades, master of none. And we're not just a firefighter, a police officer. You're a father, you're an athlete, you're a hiker, you're a gun owner, whatever it is that you use. And so each of these sets can be added to the pack or taken off. So for me personally, I have the Shove-It kit, which allows me to put in brush gear and actually slide my helmet in there if I deploy on a brush fire. Uh, there is a med pouch, which I think doubles very well for a wash bag. Again, I snap it on if I go to the station, and then I can remove it for the next two days when I don't need it. So it allows you to have one backpack that's extremely versatile. There's also an element where if you do have weapons, you're going to the range, you can have a short barrel rifle in there. There's a concealed carry pocket. So extremely versatile all around one specific backpack. So the discount code for this and anything else on their site is SHIELD15. S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5. And as I said, that will get you a discount over and over again if you go to www.511tactical.com. Welcome, guys, to episode 323 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week I'm extremely excited to welcome from Thorn, Wes Barnett and Joel Totoro. Now, Wes's history is an elite Olympic weightlifter, 
appearing at two of the Olympics and then becoming part of the Olympic Committee. Joel's road is as a nutritionist and dietitian, initially in the hospital setting and then transitioning to the athletic arena, spending eight years with the New England Patriots. And now both these gentlemen work for Thorne. So we discuss a host of topics from the dangers of unregulated supplementation, why it's so important to understand efficacy, ingestion versus absorption, and many, many other areas. Before we get to this episode, like I always say, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this podcast on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. The more five-star ratings we get, the more visible this podcast is to people looking for a project like this. And as I say over and over again, this is a free library for you, the audience. You use it personally, use it for your department, But all I ask in return is to share. There are so many people out there that need to hear the stories and the work of these incredible men and women that have come on the show. So all I ask is that you share it. So that being said, I introduce to you Wes Barnett and Joel Totoro. Enjoy. So Wes and Joel, firstly, thank you so much for taking the time in this uh, early morning for some of you to come on the Behind the Shield podcast. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Brilliant. All right. So we'll start with you, Wes. Where on planet Earth are we finding you today? Gosh, planet Earth, I am uh, located here in the uh, beautiful state of Colorado, where I have uh, become a transplant. I, I came out about, uh, gosh, now 30 years ago, uh, and it it almost pains me to say that that's a, that's a long time and makes me realize how old I'm getting. But, uh, yeah, out here in Colorado Springs and, uh, looking at the mountains and the sunshine. Beautiful. So we'll stick with you for a moment. So where were you born and what was your family dynamic? Like, what did you, what did your parents do and how many siblings? So I was born in, uh, in a place called St. Joseph, Missouri. And for those that don't know where St. Joseph is, we're about, uh, an hour North of Kansas City, Missouri, uh, right there on the Kansas-Missouri uh, border in the upper left-hand corner of the of the state. Um, kind of our two claim to fames, um, St. Joe, Missouri is where um, the Pony Express began and where Jesse James ended, we like to say. So he was, Jesse James was, uh, was shot and killed in, in St. Joseph, Missouri. And um, it's a uh, real blue collar town. Uh, real industrial, um, a bit uh, of a depressed economy uh, nowadays. But you know, at one time when the uh, the, the cattle trade and uh, really uh, kind of manufacturing, a ton of it was done there uh, in St. Joseph. Uh, companies like Quaker Oats. Uh, we had Mead Paper. We've had um, all sorts of kind of the, like dog food places and and um, and meat packing plants and things. Uh, so I grew up in a uh, in a blue collar household. Uh, my mom was a was a nurse, and uh, my dad he was one of the uh, employees at at the meat packing place. Uh, and I have uh, three sisters and a brother, uh, two older sisters, uh, then my brother, then myself, and then my younger sister. So uh, dynamics. We grew up basically all the kids. Uh, playing sports, everything that we could do. I think it was a way for uh, the, 
our parents to keep us out of the out of the house, uh, quite frankly, and and certainly out of trouble. Uh, so kind of growing up, uh, it was a pretty competitive household, uh, especially with an older brother who was uh, who was two years my senior. Uh, so everything that I wanted to do uh, and play, I had to compete against him. And and unfortunately, most of the people, well, maybe fortunately, most of the other kids in the neighborhood were his age. So anytime that I wanted to uh, to play, I had to play with the older kids. Uh, some of them accepted that and some of them uh, wanted to kind of put me in a position to teach me that younger kids don't don't belong here playing with the older kids and and that I was a bit of an of, of an annoyance to them. So that's how I kind of cut my teeth in athletics, always having to play uh, against better, uh, better quality talent, older kids, and uh, and always had to raise my game if I wanted to uh, to participate. So that's a that's a bit about my my kind of lifestyle and and, and where I grew up. Brilliant. Well, the same question to you, Joel, the family dynamic and where you grew up. Yeah, so I grew up in uh, Warwick, Rhode Island. Uh, it's uh, very similar to West, actually. It's a pretty blue-collar town, kind of near the ocean, so that played a big role in, in growing up, you know. I uh, always had that in our backyard, so that was that was awesome. So we were outside, you know, same as West, sun up to, to streetlights. Uh, my immediate family, I'm one of four children. I got two older sisters and a younger brother, uh, but both sides of the family, my mom and dad, pretty pretty large families, so... You know, there's a uncle, cousin, or niece or nephew every two years, kind of for the last, you know, 40 or so in my year. So, same as Wes, both in the family and around the neighborhood, always someone bigger, faster, stronger to to keep the competition up. And we're pretty pretty com- competitive, feisty bunch. So, yeah, it was great. Uh, definitely uh, one of those childhoods you look back on, and uh, I'm not sure you could do it now. You know, the amount of freedom we had to kind of be outside and kind of. Uh, make our mistakes without anyone watching us. So it, it, was, it was great, great dynamic growing up for sure. Brilliant. Now, staying with you, Joel, what about career aspirations when you were school age? Yeah, so pretty relatively early on, I knew, knew I wanted to do something medical related or, or science related. It's always where my my head uh, head was. You know, when I was younger, it was going to be, you know, I was going to be on safari or an astronaut. Uh, but those kind of tempered a little bit. Uh, so yeah, I always knew I wanted to be in, in medicine. And then once I kind of really started, you know, participating in sports at, at a higher level and, uh, you know, seeing people and myself dealing with injuries, I, I knew that was kind of where I wanted to go. Um, original thought was, you know, I was going to be an, an orthopedic surgeon and, uh, you know, then PT. And then I eventually found, uh, nutrition and, and kind of tied all, all my passions together. So it was, uh, it was a pretty easy path for me. I didn't stray too much, which I know is pretty rare these days. Yeah. Which sport did you play at a high level? Uh, so I competed uh, mostly in track and field. I grew up, you know, I grew up playing kind of everything, but uh, mostly distance, a little bit of pole vault. So, you know, I kind of uh, did that and not necessarily at the, the highest level as, as Wes, uh, as you guys will hear shortly. Uh, he was a little humble there. There is no street named after me in my hometown. <laughs> so. Uh, I, I didn't quite get that far as West for sure, but yeah, it was definitely uh, sports. I think were a big part of uh, uh, my growing up and kind of uh, you know dictating who I became. Yeah, there's no Gearing Boulevard where I grew up either. So let's let's find out about that. So, <laughs> so Wes, tell me about your journey into Olympic lifting and then the success that you had. Sure. So, um, you know, your your listeners will probably think there's a there's a bit of or they'll they'll, they'll question like, man. 
James, you've got people on on both ends of the spectrum because you know Joel wanted to be a, a grow up doing something in the medical space. I wanted to grow up and uh, become a professional wrestler. That was my uh, uh, that was my big aspiration. I was I was really into that as a as a kid and uh, could could do all of the moves. And uh, you know, unfortunately for some of my peers in the neighborhood, you know, we were doing it you know without mats and 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 on concrete or in the dirt. So. Uh, that didn't work out too well for them, but but ultimately, um, my life veered in a in another direction. And uh, there is a uh, a youth center um, in St. Joseph, in South St. Joseph, where I grew up. And coincidentally enough, it was called the Wesley Community Center. Um, absolutely nothing to do with me. Uh, it, it's a uh, it was a faith based uh, organization, and it's still there to this day, supported by the United Way. Uh, but it was uh, it was for kids to to kind of come in and and um, have an opportunity to uh, to play sports to uh, engage in other activities that uh, that were positive. And I was in there uh, on on a Saturday, which I was probably there every Saturday, and we were playing basketball. And the youth director, uh, who's actually still there to this day. Uh, the youth director comes into the gym, interrupts the basketball game, and says, hey, we're going to have a, a weightlifting meet today. You have two choices. You can lift or you have to go home. So I kind of looked around. I'm like, well, what is there for me to do at home? Not much. So I guess I'll lift. And we were all taught how to do the snatch and clean and jerk uh, about an hour before the contest started competed. And in my very first competition, I ended up in fourth place. And I usually stop there at that story. And, and, and people will say, gosh, you had an hour's worth of uh, tutorial. Uh, you, you did a competition and you got fourth place, which is, which is fantastic. Uh, what I sometimes pause and, and not tell them is there were only four people uh, in my weight class. So uh, dead last. Uh, is is what I got, and the the coach, uh, the youth director, who also doubled as the weightlifting coach, um, he said, "Look, I'm going to train all of you who want to uh, for the Junior Olympics that will be happening next August." And this was like in the fall of 1983, uh, and in the summer of 1984 was the Junior Olympics in Jacksonville, Florida. He said, I'm going to train whoever wants to train, and then we're going to have another competition, and whoever qualifies, we will go to Jacksonville, Florida for the Junior Olympics. Now, from my perspective, you know, here in St. Joseph, Missouri, it was one of those places that you just kind of, you went to high school, uh, you, you know, you grew up, you went to high school, uh, then after high school, you'd get a job and, and kind of live your life there. There wasn't uh, a lot of aspiration uh, beyond that. And this was an opportunity. I was thinking, wow, we can go all the way to Florida. This is, uh, this is something that's, that's enticing to me. So trained for the next, you know, six, seven months or so, um, had a competition, uh, actually came in first place in that one and made the qualifying standard. And, um, along with three other, uh, kids, we loaded up a station wagon 
and and maybe some of your uh, some of your listeners are too young to even know what a station wagon is. Uh, but we loaded up a station wagon. We drove from St. Joe, Missouri, to uh, to Jacksonville, Florida, and competed in the Junior Olympics. And um, I was hooked ever since. So for the next uh, 17 years after that, uh, I competed in the in the sport of weightlifting and um, had a lot of doors open up for me as a as a result of uh, um, of the sport and um, and kind of my accomplishments uh, in it. We'll just stay on that for a moment because this, this is something that seems to be a, a common theme with a lot of people. Um, you know, you've, you've got someone who's younger. They may be on a, on a perfectly good path, maybe on a bad path, whatever it is. But often there's that one mentor-like figure that comes in and completely changes the, the course of their life, whether it's br- bringing them into the military, whether it's in athletics. Was, mm-hmm. was that one um, coach, the one that stuck with you, was, was that one that really kind of um, became that mentor in your Olympic, excuse me, in your lifting career? Well, actually, not only in my career, but, but in my life. Um, I mean, I spent more time at that youth center than I did, um, at my house. So he was, um, like, like another father to me, uh, taught me about life, taught me about education and and the importance of, of going to college and, and getting a degree. And, and he would tell me so many times that, Hey, I, I run this youth center, right. And I'm the director of this youth center. And people look down at me and, and say, well, yeah, you're just a youth director. But you know what? If you don't have a college degree, you can't even apply for this job. So when you're looking at life, um, you know, education is is critically important uh, along with with sport. But because I played all kinds of sports growing up as well. And, and eventually, uh, you know, through high school, stuck with basketball and and weightlifting uh, his his uh, thing to me was always one day you won't be able to play sports. Then what are you going to do? And and you better have a plan for that. And he would just kind of harp on me all the time uh, about that. Um, for my weightlifting career, though, he was he was always my biggest fan, uh, my biggest advocate. Uh, anything that he could do to uh, to kind of help me uh, in my career, uh, he would do, uh, including. Uh, after high school, I had an opportunity to move here to Colorado Springs and and come to the Olympic Training Center. And um, the way his mentality worked was, I can get you so far. Uh, and some coaches are very selfish and they want to kind of hang on to their uh, to their prodigy, so to speak. Uh, but he was like, "This is as far as I can get you." And if if we really want you uh, to to be all you can be, so to speak. Um, you need to go somewhere else where you can be in a in a better environment, in a uh, more competitive environment with a better coach and have these resources around you that that we can't give you here. So ultimately, um, he helped me make some of the the tougher decisions in, in my life, which was leave home, leave my family, leave my friends all in pursuit of uh, of something better for me not only in the short term, but but in the long term. So he definitely was a uh, was a mentor for me uh, then and continues to be in my in my life today, which I'm very appreciative of. Yeah, well, I like to highlight those stories. That's that's fantastic to hear that because, you know, especially in this current climate, we're seeing a lot of, you know, unrest and kind of blaming. And in the middle, there's all these people out there that have 
being mentoring, being creating, you know, groups that are bringing solutions to problems. And, and I, and I wish that would be more of a dialogue. Be, be that person, be that person that's mentoring kids or, you know, whatever your passion is. Because a number of times I've heard one person completely positively change someone's life just because they cared, you know, that we need so many more people like that in the world. Yeah. And, and they're out there, right? They're, they are out there. They just don't, you know, maybe it's not sexy, maybe it's not uh, newsworthy, uh, but they're out there grinding away. And I, I think you can go to any, you know, city in America, small city, large city, out in the country, suburban, doesn't matter. There are those individuals out there, uh, whether it's sport, art, music, or or just, you know, how to be a good person. Uh, because that was the other thing that he said, um, you know, we came from a very... Um, you know, uh, disadvantaged, uh, socioeconomic background. And he would take us to different service groups when we would do fundraising to try to, uh, raise dollars to, uh, to go to these tournaments, these national events. And he's just like, look, yeah, weightlifting, that's, that's what we're doing. Um, but really what I'm trying to do is, is build better citizens. I want, I want these kids, whether they go far in weightlifting or sport or not, Um, whatever it is that they pursue and wherever they end up in life, all I want is to make them better citizens and, and to kind of teach them, uh, the ways to do that. So I think there's more people out there doing that sort of work than we realize. Um, we just need to find a way to kind of shine light on them and, uh, and recognize them for, uh, the contribution that they're making. Yeah, absolutely. And I've had many of those men and women on the show as well for that very reason. Well, Joel, I want to bring you back in. So you, you know, found nutrition in um, college. So kind of walk me through your journey, you know, through medicine down that particular path. Yeah, so uh, very similar to uh, to Wes, I had, I had a mentor that kind of, you know, was a, a huge linchpin in, in my career. And uh, so I went to the University of Connecticut and I started as pharmacy, realized uh, that wasn't exactly peaking my industry or my interest. And it was kind of limiting in that I couldn't explore other parts of science. Uh, so I found nutrition and kind of coupled that with some exercise physiology classes and, you know, was kind of starting to make my own, you know, see my own vision of where I wanted to go. Um, but at the time, you know, my professors, the profession was telling me, you know, sports nutrition, it's it's a cute hobby, but it's not a career. And, you know, you're wasting your time trying to do a double major. And then uh, my senior year, um, uh, Dr. Jeff Volick and, and William Kramer, they brought their uh, exercise physiology lab to University of Connecticut. And it was the first time I saw, and Jeff is an amazing human. He's a PhD in, in nutrition as well as exercise science. And, and he's a di- registered dietitian himself. So he was first the first male I had seen. You know, there were, at the time, there were very few males in dietetics. And uh, <clears throat> so was, it was good to just kind of see myself in the profession at a time where I was kind of struggling to do that. And then uh, to have that combination of exercise and nutrition and to, and to be speaking at it in a way I couldn't even, I hadn't even begun to formalize my opinions on. Uh, to just have a mentor to really, to really look at, hey, this is a, these things do make sense together. It is a viable profession. Uh, and that kind of set me on, on the path, uh, com- combining medicine with performance and, and really just understanding, you know, the, the human side of human performance. Um, so, so from there, 
uh, I, I remember having a conversation with Jeff and I had kind of funded college myself. So I was very felt I needed to, to kind of start paying a dent in, in my student loan. So I was going to, I went out there, got a clinical job. I was working ICU trauma, but I remember Jeff towards the end of my, my time at UConn telling me, he's like, okay, he's like, I respect what you're doing, but you won't be there long. Uh, turns out he knew me better than I did. Uh, you know, so a couple years after doing, uh, clinical work, I was working primarily ICU trauma. It was, uh, super exciting and fulfilling. You know, there were kind of incomes and, and or inputs and outputs, and we were able to see the, the effect of, you know, interventions similar to what you can see, uh, you know, day to day in a high tuned athlete. Um, and, and at the time I didn't realize that that was really priming me. Those, that vision and that, uh, kind of methodology around trauma and the human body and, and really looking at it systemically set me up for extreme success in, in athletics because you need to do it. Similarly, I've, I've referred to athletics as intentional trauma along the way. And I think it kind of sums it up best is that, you know, whether you're, you know, competing in the Olympics or you're, you're just in a, you know, a physical job every day that you need to stay prepared for, like first responders, uh, you know, you're going to do that every day. So if you know, you're going to get in a car accident, you know, at 10 miles an hour every day, you're probably going to do things a little different in your life. So kind of combining the two was, was pretty seamless to me. Um, and, and kind of a couple years into, into my, uh, my career in, in the ICU, I got a call from Jeff, just like he predicted. He was like, Hey, I've got this guy that's going to call you. He's from the New England Patriots. Uh, you should probably take it. So obviously I did, I'm from New England. So it was kind of, you know, starry eyed. I was a young kid. Uh, so I, I got a call and they're like, you know, Hey, we, we have a little bit of a nutrition program going here, but we're trying to take this to the next level. You know, we're looking to bring somebody in more frequently, you know, so I went out there thinking I was interviewing to give a couple of lectures during, uh, training camp, which was kind of the, the norm around, uh, around sports at the time. You know, there was a, if there was a dietitian available, uh, it would be a touch point here or there, you know, and like I said, New England was already doing a little bit more than the norm. Um, so I went in there, interviewed, you know, kind of thought, thought I did okay. And uh, they're like, okay, can you come in on Wednesdays? And then three weeks in, they're like, why don't you just quit your other job? And I was kind of there every day for the next eight years. So it was a exciting journey for sure. Absolutely. And obviously they, uh, they were extremely successful. So there's definitely a correlation between those two. Yeah, I would say uh, I have uh, in eight years, I have zero carries for zero yards. So I don't know how much I prevented the I mean, I, I contributed to the, the victories, but I may have helped prevent the loss or two with, uh, with the sports side and the sports science team we had there, which is an incredible team. Brilliant. Well, I want to I want to bring those two together. So let's just finish. Um, where's the story? So so where's at the uh, the training center can I lead us through that next level when you when you did um go with the new coach and then and then your actual olympic career and the successes that you had sure so i came to colorado springs in december of 1990 we would have junior camps um twice a year once in the summer once in the winter and um after the uh, the winter camp was over um i was they had uh, resurrected uh, what's called the resident program where you could live full time on on campus and train. I got an invitation to be a part of the program. And then after the winter uh, junior camp, I just kind of stayed on board. And 
this was something now where I was going, you know, at home I was training, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, uh, and I jumped in with a Eastern European coach um, who who cranked it up just a little bit to uh, Monday through Saturday, twice a day, and uh, was kind enough to give us Sundays off. Uh, but it was something that, you know, what I didn't realize at the time was, um, and I don't think my my coach back in St. Joseph, uh, a guy named Dennis Sneed, and he was he was the the person that was mentoring me. I don't think he realized because he was he was new. He wasn't like a weightlifting coach. He was a youth director, and he learned how to become a weightlifting coach. So we were kind of growing together um, at the same time. So we were doing tons and tons of um, of just different various exercises and, and repetitions when I went away to um, to college, um, you know, after high school. So those eighteen to to twenty year old. Um, there was another coach in, in Overland Park, Kansas. I went to uh, Johnson County Community College where they had a weightlifting program there. And uh, Steve Yavoric uh, was his name. So it was all about doing tons of different exercises, tons of different repetitions. I didn't know it at the time, but this was kind of laying a foundation for me. I knew I hated it because I didn't like doing all the repetitions and all of these crazy workouts. But they were laying the foundation, both my hometown coach and uh, the coach that I had while I was in college, to be able to withstand uh, getting thrown into a, a meat grinder here at the Olympic Training Center. Um, and my progress, James, from the time I got there um, and, and really started training, let's just call it January of 1991, in the first probably four months that I was there. So now again, I'm training six days a week, twice a day. I have access to all the food I can eat. I have access to, to medical care. We have access to the scientists who are, you know, kind of measuring and this and that and drawing blood and force plates and, and uh, analyzing technique and, and different things of that nature. So I had all these resources um, at my disposal. And I probably put about, um, I know in the first 100 days I was there, I put a, a you know, 45 kilos, 100 pounds or so uh, on my back squat alone and uh, put about another uh, probably 25, 30 kilos or uh, 55, 65 pounds onto, uh, onto my total. And for those that don't know, in Olympic lifting, you do the snatch, you do the clean and jerk, and you add your best snatch together with your best clean and jerk. And that gives you a total. Uh, so I had about 30 kilos on and, you know, became national champion in, in, uh, in, in about that, uh, the second year that I was in the program and, and I was coming from a place where, yeah, I was just kind of like middle of the road, but because I had that foundation and I was, uh, uh now ready to, um, to handle the workload, uh, my progress was, was just phenomenal. And my goal at the time when I got there in 1990, uh, December was to make the 96 Olympic games, uh, in Atlanta. Well, rewind a little bit and the progress that I made from the day I got there, uh, until the 1992 Olympic trials, um, I was all of a sudden found myself in a position to, um, uh, to, 
to challenge for a spot on the 1992 Olympic team. So went to the Olympic trials and lo and behold, I was one of 10 uh, who made the uh, made the Olympic team. I was I was 22 at the time. Totally unexpected, but um, I was I was obviously really jazzed about it. So went to Barcelona, um, ended up coming in about 13th place. I didn't have the, the best competition, but I was looking at that as as a springboard uh, to the next uh, to the next games. So made world championship teams in between. I lifted in in three Pan American Games, uh, and ultimately ended up back at the uh, at the Olympics in 1996 uh, in in Atlanta, which was great. Uh, being at an Olympics in your in your home country, um, ended up in sixth place there. I was one of the uh, final three lifters actually um, when it was all said and done, and um, had just a, a great competition. The next year, I went to the World Championships and won medals. Uh, they were the first medals won by an American man in three decades. So from that standpoint, I was like, well, I should be poised and ready uh, to make another Olympics in 2000 and go to Sydney and realize my dream of, of making, uh, Olympic, uh, um, making an Olympic medal. So continued training. I ended up uh, becoming ill in uh, in 1998, I, I ended up uh, with uh, contracting cancer and uh, dealt with that, uh, fortunately. And it was uh, just, you know, kind of one of these freak things where I was having blurry vision, uh, went to the eye doctor and um, they sent me to a specialist and come to find out I had this this kind of freakish melanoma that had grown around my optic nerve in my, in my eye that was causing me, you know, all kinds of issues. But, uh, I, I didn't know what it was until I, it got diagnosed. So it got treated. Um, and then the after effects of that treatment just continued to, uh, to dog me, uh, throughout the, um, the, the, uh, the trials process in 2000. So I ended up not making the team in, uh, in 2000 for Sydney uh, and at that point in time, hung up my weightlifting shoes and and kind of started my uh, started on my career journey. But it was one of those things that um, you know I was really uh, kind of fortunate to uh, a lot of times be in the right place at the right time. I had a a, a really strong work ethic and um, and and really there was nobody that was going to to outwork me. I was I was prepared to to kind of put myself through things that, that others just weren't willing to do, which I think led to a lot of my success. So at the end of the day, I ended up on two Olympic teams, three Pan American teams, and something like seven or eight uh, world championship teams. So wasn't bad for a uh, kid from small town, St. Joe, Missouri, who uh, in my first uh, junior Olympics, I was five foot two, weighed in at ninety nine pounds. So, uh, from those humble beginnings uh, to to make it to the Olympic stage uh, and to ultimately win medals uh, at the world level, uh, it was it was quite a journey and and one that I was very blessed to have uh, a lot of people along the way, the mentors that that we were talking about earlier, a lot of those people along my way to help kind of guide my journey and uh, help me become the person that I am today. 
Well, that that is amazing. Firstly, I mean to to overcome cancer in, in itself is you know is is an incredible you know chapter of your story. But amongst that, I mean, four four different uh, Olympics attempts is, is incredible. And I think that um, what was very striking to me is you mentioned about the you know, the earlier coaches creating that foundation, and that's something that I see having been in the the CrossFit or whatever word we're supposed to call it now space. Um, that you get these people jumping into, for example, the program that you found yourself in at the uh, Olympic Training Center. And then these people fall apart and they wonder why. It's because you have to have that foundation. And I think that understanding that as an athlete and understanding that as a tactical athlete in, in our professions too, that you need that, that base level of strength and mobility and endurance if you're going to survive a career that might span 20, 30 years. Well, I think that's a, that's a very good point. Uh, because all along my career, uh, you know, people, they always wanted to ask, you know, how much do you lift? Unfortunately, most of them would say, well, what do you bench? And I'm like, so then I had to kind of go through the whole rigmarole of, hey, it's not bench press. You know, this is what Olympic lifting is. But ultimately, um, you know, I ended up, you know, having a uh, an American record that that stood for, for nearly 20 years uh, in the clean and jerk at, at, at 484 pounds. And people were just like, oh, my gosh, I would break my back and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, well, guys, I, I didn't start there, right? Uh, there, there was this long journey uh, that I was on before that. Actually, in my, in my first uh, competition, I think my clean and jerk was like 65 pounds. So it's, it's, you're exactly right. It's like laying that foundation, which, which frankly, there are many people that don't want to do that. They just want to kind of jump in and – and um, you know, get right to the to the meat of the of the matter, and they don't want to do the work, you know, in 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 preparation and, and build that foundation. And that's why you see many people they they either plateau, they get injured, they burn out. Uh, and that's in my mind, I I believe in due in large part because they don't have that foundation laid, and they haven't um, kind of done the hard work uh, to kind of get to that point. But Everything is a process. It's a building block, and I don't care if it's in sport or um, or, or in whatever profession that you um, you know that you that you choose. You know the, the the best surgeons in the world. They don't start out as the best surgeons. They've got to they've got to practice and they've got to get better and they've got to learn and and hopefully they're mentored along the way. Um, and if everyone can just kind of take a deep breath, pause, and and just have the patience to put the work in at the beginning. Um, you're going to assure yourself a, a more fruitful, longer, probably healthier uh, career so that when, when it's all said and done, I mean, I look at myself now and I, I still walk around. Sure, I've got aches and pains from 17 years of, of lifting, but uh, I've never had a surgery. I've never had a broken bone. And I think this is all attributed to the fact that I did have that that um, that foundation, which um, James has carried with me uh, throughout my life, and instilled habits in me of of exercise and uh, and and eating well, so that I can uh, kind of continue to to flourish as I as I move into my twilight years. Brilliant. It's funny because something you said earlier. I think that the issue we have is that so many of us were raised in that kind of QVC mentality. 
where you could have written a book fourth place in an hour and it would have sold millions of, <laughs> of, of <laughs> copies, you know, but the reality is, like you said, that's absolute fallacy and we have to invest. I think a lot of my generation are playing catch up. We didn't do anything wrong. You know, we did what we were told by the, the fitness space and nutrition space. But I look now, look back now as a 46 year old man at so many of the, so much misinformation, which we're going to explore in a minute in, in nutrition as well. But, you know, we were told, oh, you want to get ready for sports and eat a giant bowl of pasta. And, you know, you want to get big and strong and get on the pec deck machine and get your preacher curls in, you know, and then now you, you start falling apart as a firefighter. You're like, well, what, what happened? Oh, okay. So that was, that was largely not the right information for longevity. No, you're exactly right. And I'm very happy to hear that I now have my, uh, my ghostwriter for my new book. <laughs> I love that. Fourth place in an hour. That is that is fantastic. We're going to crush it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Joel, it's over to you. So what I would love to really kind of open the door with is you 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 join the Patriots um, and, you know, you obviously are brought on for a lot more than previous nutritionists that have, had come through their doors. So what did you discover when you first got there and what did you start changing that affected the performance of the team? Yeah, so I think uh, I think it was, I mean, a very exciting time and I'm, I'm very fortunate. So I walked in and, and it starts with, you know, Bill Belichick. Obviously, he saw uh, an advantage that nobody else was really taking advantage of, you know, and he has, he had built such a great performance staff. It's you know, the team we had there, I would rival the team you could put together nowadays, you know, and this was well, well before uh, the super focus on sports performance. So this is back in 04. Um, so I think that the biggest thing is walking into a, a door where the expectations were everybody else is doing theirs, their expertise perfectly. You need to get yours up to speed, you know. So I, I think I, I, I probably got a, a PhD in nutrition uh, unofficially in that first year just because the expectation was to be perfect, you know. Uh, which is great. And that's, uh, you know, environment I kind of thrive in. Uh, but I would say the, the biggest thing was, uh, you know, I was kind of told when I first got in there kind of to realize like, you know, you have to be seen to be heard, heard to be listened to, listened to be trusted, trusted to make an impact, which is really kind of, uh, I think important, especially for, for people early in their career uh, to realize, you know, you know, I always tell people your year one is, is assessing the situation making sure you don't get fired and then kind of making sure that you know your who your allies are to then start your five-year plan. And that's kind of how, how it started for me. Uh, season one, I came in right after training camp. So I didn't have that rapport, that, that camaraderie. Um, but what I did have was the amazing staff around us. So our strength coach, Mike Wojcik, he, at the time, I think in that season, he won his sixth ring, which was at the time the most, uh, you know, he built the Cowboys off season program and that dynasty. So, uh, him being such a, a amazing resource and understanding what training does to the body and understanding enough about nutrition to know that he needed somebody to support that full time. Uh, <clears throat> you know, he kind of brought me in. He was like, Hey, this is what we do. And, and he spoke to it at such a scientific level that because he was so amazing at his job, uh, I was not, you know, he was just so willing to share his knowledge because I'm not a threat to him, you know, and he was, there's a lack of ego. Uh, in that building, which is pretty astounding. Um, you know, so he, he kind of really indoctrinated me into, you know, understanding what a football player goes through, what the demands on the body are. Uh, and like I said, that kind of uh, triggered a lot in my head of, okay, this is, this is if, if I had these same blood markers and these same 
um, you know, conditions in the body in the ICU or in the, the hospital, what would I do? You know, what are the protein needs? What are the micronutrient needs? We started looking at it very, very systematically and, you know, applying medical nutrition therapy to sport at a level, like you said, it was previously, it was like, okay, cool carb load before the Boston marathon. You know, that was the, where the, the nutrition information was, you know, it was, uh, Australia was doing it a lot in rugby. That was about the only applicable science I could lean on. So I kind of looked at what rugby knew, what looked what um, trauma knew, kind of realized football is a combination of both um, and, and realized that what the traditional dogma of sports nutrition had been, which is largely in endurance athletes because it's a, a little bit easier of a population to study, um, didn't necessarily apply to to our football athletes. Uh, you know, and some of the people that they they were calculating needs for, for a football practice at three hours, the same as a three hour marathon not realizing that, you know, more than 50% of a practice is standing around, you know? Uh, so it's not, you know, there's a little bit of overfueling going on there and, and, uh, you know, working with the, the sports, uh, the sports medicine team really understanding, okay, what is this injury? What does that look like? Okay. This is what I would do in the hospital if this person had the same surgery. Uh, but that person just has to get back to functioning. We have to get this person beyond healthy. Um, and that's kind of the, kind of second piece I think that, that we really focused on was was realizing that just being just meeting your you know daily needs isn't enough if you need to function at the highest level of physical performance because until your body is taking care of its biological needs and its survival needs, it's not going to focus on that high level performance and, and really getting you to that that extra one or two percent. So um, you know like I said the sports medicine team and the sports science team we had around us were, was unbelievable to challenge me, you know, every day. And, and I always say kind of, you're an expert when you've been asked enough questions and now have an, and have had to come up with an answer for them, you know, and made a bunch of mistakes along the way that that's to me what an expert is. Um, but I was challenged and, you know, and the players know too, you know, they're, they're, this is their, their body, their career is very short and what they do with their body and how they recover. And, you know, they're saying back in the day, you can't make the field from the, from the cold tub, you know, so you got to be out there. You got to be performing daily to be evaluated to then potentially, uh, continue your career. So, uh, it was, it was a right place that was ripe for, uh, intervention and, and a supportive staff that, that challenged me to make sure that I was, you know, making those interventions, you know, everything from, you know, you know, to what the daily meals were, uh, to, you know, and how we, how we replicated that on the road to, you know, inserting myself into the, you know, the physical therapy rehabs, the post-surgical rehabs. Okay, what's the nutrition component that can make this recovery one day faster, two days faster, you know, get somebody back on the field one day earlier, you know, how can we support that together? And it was, it was a, like I said, such a unique environment to learn. And, and at the time, I was the only full-time sports dietitian in pro sports. And there was, you know, a handful at the collegiate level. And that was my, that was my field, you know, so we, we, those of us at the time, you know, we, we talked mentors early, we all became each other's mentors and kind of had to figure it out on the fly because nobody else was dealing with what we were dealing with. So uh, I think that lack of, again, the lack of ego within that community, within the, the Patriots organization and the staff around me, just, it, it was such a unique experience to an opportunity to really uh, impact change the way we were able to, which was exceptional. Yeah, well, it's interesting as well because you said exactly kind of the same thing I was thinking in my profession, and and it's it's been 
an intriguing observation to see how the focus has shifted. So I think if we'd had a conversation about supplementation 20 years ago, it would be creatine and protein and, you know, you need this to get to bigger and stronger and maybe there's like a thermogenic component to, to shed fat. But what I see now in the sports space, um, you know, I hear strength and conditioning coaches say, look, we're not, yes, we're getting our athletes stronger, but ultimately our goal is to stop them getting hurt. And it's the same in the tactical athlete space with the military, with the police and fire is, you know, when we show up at the draw ground or, you know, boot camp or whatever it is, most of us should be in incredible shape. So the goal now is to hone our skills, learn, you know, all the different um, tools on the Swiss army knife of being a first responder. But it's not that you want to turn into a giant monster in 20 years. It's that you want to take that, that younger athletic frame and just keep it working. So what were some of the, the nutritional elements that you found did help promote recovery uh, in your athletes in the Patriots? Yeah. So a lot of it was, um, you know, just, just kind of getting it was a lot of it was education to start with and getting guys to realize, you know, the, I'd say timing probably was the first major stepping stone, you know, realizing that there is a window, uh, post-training post, uh, performance or, or competition where, you know, the body's number one priority, the biggest threat to survival is the damage you just did. Right. So realizing, you know, making sure the nutrients are either available uh, you know, during and immediately after, and then kind of continue to fuel throughout the day to match your needs. Uh, that alone, you know, made that back in 04, that was unfortunately uh, groundbreaking was nutrient timing. And, and, you know, that's when the research started coming out about protein feeds post, uh, post training that really turned on, turned you from breakdown, breaking muscle down to, to recovering and kind of taking care of some of that, that next day soreness, uh, which, you know, any kind of soreness you can remove from an athlete, uh, you know, or really any of us, right? If you can get rid of any soreness, we're, we're probably happy. So I think the timing was there. And then, uh, like, there was a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, education around, you know, why, like, nutrient status is important and eating nutrient-dense foods, and, you know, which eventually evolved into, uh, you know, the specific nutrients that are, you know, needed for recovery. So we had a post-surgical, you know, here's for wound healing, here's for new, um, you know, muscle regrowth, uh, you know, here's for return to play type stuff. Uh, you know, at the time fish oil was, was emerging as, uh, as an inflammation, uh, inflammation kind of support. And we were, we were starting to, that's a very early looking at DHA, which is part of fish oil being in the brain and in concussions. Um, and, and that research actually came out of, was starting, you know, that first theory came out of, uh, uh, the UK where they were doing, uh, research on, um, uh, like serial killers and, 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 you know, some, some very deranged, uh, mental, uh, situations and diagnosis. And they were finding there was a relative lack of DHA in the brain, which kind of, uh, so when you, when you kind of get a concussion, especially in the frontal, that kind of your omega threes kind of denature or kind of break down. Uh, so for a short term, they mimic that lack of DHA. And that's kind of why you see some of the flat affects, uh, in a, in a concussion. So it, it was really, really interesting to be looking at and, and being surrounded by these people that were bringing this knowledge to me and, and really putting pieces together. Okay. This is what's happening over here. How do we make that work? So, you know, and as you see, you know, over time, the, you know, the knowledge of omega threes has grown, uh, exponentially. And, you know, it's a very big, uh, area of concern. There's some data coming out of NCAA and some other places that athletes, even with access to unlimited feeding, sports dietitians, chefs, are still significantly uh, under underprepared in their omega three status, and you know it, it was little things. You know, I, we talk a lot about 
like you said, the creatine, the beta alanine, um, those were kind of hot. They still are. They definitely still work. They, they feel the physical activity, but it's to me, my job was the other 23 hours or the other 22 hours when they were off the field. Um, and that's where we look at a lot of, a lot of the interventions we make and, you know, sports science is going to the, you know, kind of N equals one where it's everybody's individual and there are no blanket statements and there are no, there should be no blanket protocols or meal plans because there's so much going on internally and we're so different. Uh, but a lot of the interventions we make at the highest level, you know, everyone kind of has an answer for the training, right? They've got their, generally they've got their hydration needs down. They've got their, you know, their, their muscle performance down. Um, but we're seeing a lot, a lot of what we do is like the vitamin D's, the magnesiums, the foundational elements, because, you know, there's a misconception that fit equals healthy, right? There's, there's a difference between physical fitness and, and nutritional metabolic and, and internal kind of health. And, and that's where we're seeing more of the, the impact, you know, and that was a focus we kind of landed on pretty early. Um, you know, just, just around, like I said, we had such an, uh, incredible medical staff, you know, we were running with doctors from, from Harvard, our, our physical therapist and our athletic trainer were both, you know, uh, pioneers in the field, just, just really being above and beyond. We had a amazing sports psychologist and it's funny, like you had mentioned, the tactical athlete is very similar to the professional athlete. And, and at the time, uh, we kind of looked, like I said, we were trying to find people that had a similar dynamic. And, and we ended up uh, having a little powwow with the the team, the Navy SEAL team down and the performance team down there in, in Virginia Beach. So I, I met Jeff Nichols years before I met him again, you know, through our, where he was part of that team that came up and we kind of powwowed and we're like, oh, okay, we're doing the same thing. And it was just so nice to talk to somebody who got it, you know, 360 and had that team built around. So it, it was it was really funny to see how far advanced we were without really even realizing how unique the the cast of characters we had put together uh, were. <clears throat> yeah, well, and just to, to highlight that, so firstly, I want to say thank you to Jeff for connecting us. Um, I saw I've seen him, you know, talk about Thorn now for a long time. Jeff's been on the show. Um, I think it's three times. I think, um, but we're we're gonna do another one again. Um, but. One of the areas that he talks about, you know, we did it in one of the the episodes is mental health and that TBI element that you see in, you know, the tactical professions you see in the combat sports. You know, you have uh, like the Aaron Hernandez case that was very, very strange. And then they did the, the postmortem and saw the deformity in his brain. You know, that that impact on the brain and layered with the sleep deprivation, which and now being educated by many sleep experts on here. I'm told is also mimicking the same damage to the myelin sheath that TBIs do. You have either a singular or a multiple effect on the brain. So I think that the, you know, the, the brain health element is something that our profession really needs to focus on. Um, if you can get the sleep, fantastic. If you can't, then supplementation is even more important. Yeah, no, I'd 100 agree, 100% agree. And I think, I think we're, we're getting there a little bit, a little bit more and more every year and and there's a lot of uh it's kind of a saying in the industry it's uh what do i think what do i know what can i prove and you kind of have to live between that what we know and what we can prove and we're, we're finally starting to get some data to prove some of the, the you know it's common sense yes you need to sleep and yes you know every every, every even a, a a non non tbi technically diagnosed even a, a minor uh collision you know even if it's not head-based you know if the brain's moving around a lot uh, there's, there's just some damage there that you need to account for that, that kind of the average person doesn't, 
experience. So really, really understanding that. But I, I think I think the concussion and the brain understanding and, you know, Thorne's partnered with the Mayo Clinic. We're doing a, a concussion research study in, co- in college football players right now up in uh, the Mayo in Minneapolis. So hopefully we're getting some starting there and we're not the only ones doing research in the, in the field. So it, it, there's a lot more data coming out that, that's really going to drive the, the future of uh, understanding concussions and, and what actually happens in you know, right now there is no way to prevent a concussion, but, you know, if we can potentially create some, some resiliency in the brain. And, you know, like I said, we're not there at a point where we can make definitive recommendations, but, um, but yeah, there is that, that, that kind of hand in hand of, of sleep uh, and, and really just brain health in general, you know, cognition and, you know, even in the non-concussed and non-at-risk population, um, you know, some of the, the sleep studies are staggering and on impact, you know, even, you know, there's a bunch of, uh, research out of Stanford on, you know, decreased free throw percent after a couple nights of sleep and, you know, uh, 40 times in, in lifting capability and just from a very short sleep deprivation. So now you add in, you know, some, some pretty chronic and, and even if you're a relatively good sleeper in, in pro sports, you're, you're switching time zones pretty often and you're sleeping in hotels that aren't yours. And, you know, in the, in the tactical and, and first responder world, you're, you know, you're switching shifts and all that stuff. So even if you're doing everything pers- perfectly, your body's still, res- that's still a stress on the body that needs to be responded to. And there's some, you know, kind of some metabolic changes and in inputs there that, that are unavoidable. They're going to happen. So, so like I said, it was just like earlier, if you know, you're going to get in a car accident at 10 miles an hour, you probably would have done something a little bit differently the week before to, to create a little bit of resiliency. So kind of taking that same model and just, just understanding, you know, even, even, you know, a lot of times you can't predict a concussion, but even in the, the sleep deprivation uh, or the just kind of metabolic debt on a, on a body from training or from being physically active, just again, I, I kind of always, always say that the, the body's a, a survival machine and it's, it's real only job is to not die. Right. So it's, it's kind of always assessing where those threats are coming from. You know, and if it's if sleep deprivation is adding stress to an already stressful situation or, you know, like a lot of when it comes to concussions, a lot of people don't realize it is trauma. Right. And there's a huge caloric debt there and there's a huge metabolic side of of, of a concussion uh, that often gets overlooked, you know, especially because rarely will you be hungry. You know, there, there's generally an appetite loss. So even little things like that, just remembering that all these things have a biological downstream right so anytime anything happens to our body it's a threat to to survival or any damage anywhere uh whether it be an you know an acute injury on the football field to a systemic inflammation from any mix of things um just stepping back and realizing those need to be accounted for uh that's above and beyond just a basic need just to survive every day so kind of once you kind of get that mindset of okay what what happened to my body or what is going to happen to my body how do i feel it to be able to uh, withstand that, that training or, or that injury. And then once it happens and that is my truth, what is, what can I do to minimize the, the recovery time or, or maximize the recovery from the, from the insult? Absolutely. Well, Wes, I want to bring you back in from the other perspective. So you obviously compete at an incredibly high level as an athlete. So tell me about your, your, um, experiences with supplementation. Of course, you know, we know there's, so many problems from people deliberately taking things they shouldn't be to what we saw. I mean, one of my favorite sports to watch is MMA. So in the, you know, that space, a lot of seemingly accidental ingestion of poor quality supplementation. And then, and then kind of lead us back to how you found yourself at Thorn. 
Sure. And in, you know, my sport, the, uh, the sport of weightlifting, there's, um, there wasn't a whole lot of accidental, uh, taking, <laughs> taking of anything. <laughs> I was trying to be PC. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The, uh, I mean, certainly there are some cases for sure. Um, but I mean, you can see the, the scandal that's going on right now at the international level, uh, uh, with the, the president of the federation who had kind of been in power for 40 years and all of the cover-ups and, and bribes and money and, and, and all this. But, you know, it was one of those things that, you know, we knew was going on. Um, and one of the frustrating things, quite frankly, of, of my career, because if you and I competed at something, James, and you beat me, um, the next time we met, uh, the likelihood of that happening uh, was was going to be diminished because I was going to go back and and work myself um, to the point where I wasn't going to let that happen again in this sport. And at that time, uh, no matter how hard you worked, um, you know, you really couldn't uh, assure what your success was going to be. So you just had to focus on your individual performance and, and see where the chips fell um, at the end of the day. And uh, I always compared it to being in a in a boxing match um, with one arm tied behind your back. And occasionally you'll land a haymaker. I mean, I did win medals in, in 1997, but your opponent has to be you have to be at your best that day. Hope that your opponent is a little bit off that day and trust that kind of the chips and the, and the will fall and the. Um, the stars will align appropriately for you to, uh, to have a great day. But we, uh, when I was, when, when I was coming up, I mean, I wasn't kind of very well versed in, in supplements at all, uh, nor did I have the, the resources, the, the financial resources to go out and buy anything. So, uh, for me, you, you know, you knew about whey protein, you knew about amino acids, you knew about, uh, things like creatine. Uh, so what I would try to do a lot of times is, is try and, and, you know, take a multivitamin, take some things for joint health, and then take some of those kind of uh, things. And, and, and honestly, I didn't know exactly why I was taking it. I just knew it was supposedly good for you uh, on, the, on the whey protein, uh, the amino acids. And uh, creatine, when it came out, I knew a little bit more about that. And uh, kind of use that. And, and we had some testing uh, that was done around that. So I, I had a little bit more uh, familiarity with that. Uh, but essentially, since I was such a, an outspoken, outspoken advocate um, for tighter drug control and testing and, and harsher penalties for those who were, who were intentionally cheating, I was uh, always mortified that um, that I was going to test positive from a contaminated supplement or somebody would, would spike my, uh, my products, uh, when I wasn't looking. So I lived this very kind of neurotic life, uh, when it came to, uh, supplements and, and, and what I was putting in my body so much. So, uh, I would go to a restaurant and if I, I left to go wash my hands and the, and the, uh, the server had, had brought out a glass of water, I would, I would ask them to take that away and, and, and bring me another glass, a different glass, uh, because 
uh, I had left the table and my water was sitting there unattended. So it was that kind of crazy thing. Or if I would forget my bag of supplements in my locker at the, uh, in the gym at the training center, um, knowing that really nobody had access to it, but because it was out of my sight, uh, and I remembered, oh my gosh, I forgot, uh, my supplements. I would just go throw them all in the trash and go and go buy new ones. So that was kind of the, uh, kind of neurotic lifestyle that I lived. And what I try to do is find some things that I, that I felt worked for me, like from the multivitamin standpoint and whatnot. And whatever that brand was, um, I would go to the competition I would take my drug test. I would list all the brands and all the products that I was taking. And if I passed the drug test, I would never veer off of that brand again. And at that time, I clearly didn't know that there's differences between this batch and that batch. And just because it's safe this time doesn't mean it's safe the next time. But that was, um, again, a lot of the misinformation or or lack of education and, and ignorance that that I had, and I think that a lot of of, of people have uh, about supplements today, because uh, there's a lot of um, uh, misleading claims that are put out there. There are tons of scientific uh, names used that that kind of are meant to confuse people or make it so complicated that you're like, well, it says whey protein on it, and I know I need whey protein, so so I'm just going to take it, and and most do not have the uh, education or background or resources to really do a thorough job of researching these products. So they just kind of have to take the, uh, the manufacturer's word for it. And unfortunately in this day and age, marketing triumphs science when it comes to, uh, many of the, the supplements that are out there. And when I look back at my career and all of the, um, things that I did that I thought were keeping me safe, and I look at kind of the current landscape and and how far off I was on on being safe at all. I was just, you know, really, really lucky and, uh, you know, taking products that were that were pretty benign in nature. So uh, I wasn't taking anything that, you know, would would uh, come out and make claims of of making you bigger, faster, stronger, giving you more energy. I knew those were kind of red flags um, to kind of look out for. So I think in a lot of the products that I was I was taking, uh, because they weren't those kind of red flag type of products, uh, the likelihood of those being intentionally spiked, I think, were were pretty low. But when I look back, I think I just got you know really, really lucky. And uh, where I'm at now, um, when I uh, transferred or, or transitioned from an athlete to um, to an employee, I, I immediately went to work for the, for the U S Olympic committee and, and athletes were, were dropping like flies. I mean, they were testing positive and, and many of them were coming out and saying, wait a minute, I've never taken anything in my life. I'm only taking these products. And then, you know, after, you know, a year or two of, of lawsuits and litigation or whatever, it would come out that, yeah, the product was actually contaminated. And, um, because of the litigious society that we live in and no one really wanting to step up and take on the liability of saying, Hey athletes, here is a safe product for you to take, or here's a safe source for you to go and get your supplements. The athletes were just kind of left to wander, uh, uh, 
uh, what I describe as a minefield, and 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 they were blindfolded as they're walking through this minefield. And I said, well, I think we can do better by the athletes. And when I was questioned on what do you mean, I'm like, well, we are the Olympic Committee. Why can't we work with someone out there who has done all of this work for us that we can trust, that's third party tested, that the products work, so we can take all the guesswork out for the athletes and give them peace of mind so they and their coaches can just focus on uh, competing and training and, and, and kind of getting the best out of themselves. So I took it upon myself to, to find such a company and I interviewed a bunch of them. I visited a bunch of them. I had samples sent to me and, um, I, I tried all sorts of things. And this was literally a 10 year journey, uh, that eventually led me, uh, to the place where I'm at now, uh, with Thorne. Uh, a company that I had never heard of. And, and when I met with the CEO, I said, you're telling me you've got a collaboration with the Mayo Clinic. You tell me that you're third party tested. You tell me that all of your products, uh, not there's not a single ingredient that's on the banned substance list. How is it that I've never heard of you and I've been looking for the last decade? Uh, and the answer was quite simple. Thorn, our heritage is in the medical space. So we've been in business since 1984, but only made products for doctors. So if you didn't have a doctor, a naturopath that knew about Thorn, you couldn't get the products. They weren't for sale online. They weren't for sale at any retail space. The new ownership that had come, um, you know, maybe about six or seven years ago, they're like, well, yeah, that's that's a great kind of philosophy to have that we're going to we're going to make the best supplements in the world. And if people want them, they can come and, and get them. Um, but it's a terrible business model. And it's it's terrible for those who are out there actively seeking um, kind of that that holy grail, so to speak. So one thing led to another. I had the conversation with the CEO and I said, well, here's the problem that we're having in sport. Uh, and he's like, well, this is what we can do. And I thought, James, that I had a very um, high list of demands when it came to uh, due diligence of, of these companies. Uh, and Thorne's like, yeah, we do all of that, but we do it at this level. So they were about four or five levels above what I was even asking them to do. And I thought I had pretty stringent criteria. So one thing led to another. I introduced them to my bosses and they're like, look, we still can't kind of overtly come out and, um, you know, kind of recommend anyone or uh, promote anyone. But what we can do is we can let all of the governing bodies um, in the Olympic movement know that here is a company that's doing things the right way. And and while we're not promoting or endorsing or, or anything like that, we are saying here is a company that if you are going to take supplements that you should really take a strong look at. And, um, and and look at what they're doing from a safety uh, standpoint, from a banned substances standpoint, from an efficacy standpoint, and from a cleanliness standpoint. Um, that is how the relationship happened uh, between the um, some of the, the entities within the Olympic movement and Thorn. Uh, and it wasn't until after the 2016 uh, Olympic Games in Brazil where they came to me Thorne came to me and said, look, uh, we're really going to make this push into sport and we would like you to kind of come and, and, and be a part of it. So um, I left the uh, Olympic Committee after about 10 years 
uh, of employment and uh, and kind of came to work uh, for for Thorn uh, to continue to be an advocate for for athletes um, and 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 help kind of guide them and and create awareness for this for this company that um, I feel is doing things the right way. Yeah, well, just to tag onto that because because I think that's you know such a great perspective. Um, one of my recent guests was talking about how there was one protein powder that they used and you know they the 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 other guys in the gym were saying oh you got to try this you know and he could see them physically getting bigger and so he tried it and and did but then i forget exactly how he termed it but then you know the this was the 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 new batch the new the new product that first came out then a few months in he suddenly noticed all the gains kind of left again and even though he couldn't prove it, he said, basically, I'm almost certain that there was actually testosterone in this powder and that they would deliberately do that so you would see growth and then pull it out when people started testing it. Like, no, there's nothing in here. But it already had people hooked by then. They, they, they had the, the, the hook in their mouth. And they're like, no, this stuff is amazing. I have to keep buying it. That's exactly right. And, and, and really what happens because what are they in business to do? They're in business to make money. And if they can give you something that you feel works, you're going to be loyal to that forever and ever and ever. And that is, uh, again, uh, people who really are about one thing is, and, and that's revenue and uh, really not caring about the people uh, that are putting their products in their, in their body. And while, you know, we at Thorne, certainly we need to make revenue to stay in business um, but was what was really telling to me uh, was the fact that they really care about the people that are putting products in their body uh, and, and some of the things that they did that differentiated themselves from anyone else, you know, that I saw. Like we even have a uh, an adverse event monitoring uh, system where um, where where people can kind of call in and, um, you know, say anything about the product that, hey, I took it and, and and I got a rash or it upset my stomach or or whatever. And Thorn will immediately kind of look into those things and say, boy, is there something in here that we've overlooked or missed or uh, need to take out that uh, is really having that effect? Now, that's the good part of it. The bad part of it is um, they never do the the deeper follow up questions. You know, when people say uh, they, they and they don't <laughs> the people don't relay the fact that, well, it was my birthday uh, the night before. I went out drinking till three o'clock in the morning. Uh, I went to uh, White Castle and and ate you know twelve cheeseburgers. Then I uh, I came home and took uh, took your multivitamin and I woke up in the morning and and my stomach was upset and I had diarrhea. It's like oh okay so you're you're putting that on on the supplements and not the you know the cheeseburgers and the alcohol from the night before, but still. Thorne looks into it and, and again, uh, really has this genuine concern about the people that are putting our products um, in their bodies. And that was one of the things that that kind of really stood out to me that we'll never um, we'll never put profit over over safety. And in 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 something that I think is very rare, our quality control, quality assurance uh, person at Thorne. Um, she trumps the CEO when it comes to decisions on whether or not a product will will go to market. So if it doesn't meet their standards, uh, the CEO can't say, well, hey, 
there's a great market out there for that. Let's put it out there so we can make some money. Not that he would do that. Uh, but what I'm saying is we have protocols in place that uh, the CEO, no matter who it is, cannot override the decisions of our quality control, quality assurance uh, person. And and that's something I think is uh, is very special and 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 not really seen, um, at least in this market. No, that's incredible. So I want to I want to testify for a moment. So um, after listening to Jeff, you know, talk about it, and for people out there, Jeff is not only a SEAL, not only a member of Dev Group, which is you know SEAL Team Six, but also their human performance specialist and a member of NSCA and you know, all these other things. Um, and anyone who follows him, if you want to listen to him talking about a lot of this, he has so many good videos on Instagram where he's done Q and A sessions on that. But you know, I like to, to, you know, uh, to endorse something once I've actually used it. So, you know, a while ago, you guys sent me some, some of your products, the same exact products that I was taking, you know, but the thorn version. So it wasn't like I suddenly introduced a, a different, you know, a, a brand new element to my body, but it was the probiotics, the multivitamin and the curcumin. And ironically, the timing was fantastic because I just started back at my stunt work job, getting ready for a new show in Universal Studios. So my old ass, 46 year old knees were having to do, you know, stunt work. And so there was a much higher demand as well. But I had to say there was no nausea, which I get from a lot of the, you know, the, the store brand B vitamins specifically. Um, the, the probiotics worked, which you find a, a, a lot of the ones that you get in the stores don't work very well. Um, and then curcumin, as far as the anti-inflammatory properties, um, I've had injuries on both knees and, you know, they, there was a flare up when I was in the rehearsal process before and that was, was diminished as well. And this has only been a, a relatively short time. So, you know, the, I really want to go back to Joel for a second and talk about efficacy because you can, go into a GNC and see 20 different brands that all say they are, you know, supplement X. But what is what is the difference between those and, and you know, what does Thorne do that some of these other brands, we don't have to name the brands, but some of these other brands don't? Yeah, so it's a uh, very, very loaded question there. But uh, there's, a, there's <laughs> a lot there. Um, and, and the the difference is very few. Com- it's, it's, it's very hard and it's a pretty arduous task to make a good clean supplement that works. And most people just aren't here for that. You know, uh, they're here for the quick dollar. And that's why you see a lot of the, the, you know, the science or the not on science and the, the marketing around it. Uh, it, it, I would say if you, if you're reading a supplement and, and they have to use adjectives and you're reading it in monster truck voice, they're trying to hide something because they don't have science. Right. And, and we do the exact opposite. As Wes said, we, you know, we, we just were for years. We were quiet. We were dealing with doctors. We were doing research on our products uh, and now we're finally, you know, in the last five, six years, we're letting people know about it. Right. But we, we baked the, the, the full product first and then came to market. But, uh, a couple of things that people don't know is, is how few supplement companies actually make their own products, you know, and we're one of them. We have, uh, Wes has talked about third party. So we, we use NSF, um, and then the NSF certified for sport, uh, product, uh, program, which came out of, uh, probably mid early two thousands. Uh, the NFLPA came to NSF and, and we're like, hey, there's things that are legal for normal people to buy and, and ingest uh, that are out there in the public, but they're banned in our league. Can you create a certification that checks our list? Um, and then from that, that grew and 
uh, Major League Baseball got on board and uh, they were really pushing. They were coming out of the, the steroid era. And uh, then so NSF kind of took a step back and they're like, OK, let's combine the banned substance list from USADA, from WADA, from some of these professional leagues and make a little bit more comprehensive list that covers all of the the entities. So we have a bunch of our sports specific products are, are there. So, again, not only do we do we like to say how how great we we are and how much we invest in safety and efficacy and research, uh, we've we've put our money where our, our mouth is and let somebody else do the test for us. So. Um, that's definitely any, any drug tested athlete. And, you know, that, that comes down to the, the professional space too, military first responders and just, you know, general, uh, different, there's different, uh, professions that, that where athletes are, are, uh, workers and athletes are, are drug tested. Uh, so there is that, that safety there. And, and to be able to be in that program, uh, you have to be an NSF certified facility. So, uh, rarely do our, do companies actually make their own products and you'd be surprised how many, different companies are just different labels on the same, you know, major manufacturer. Uh, so uh, the fact that we make our own products and we have control, control that most people don't have, you know, we do the, the, the aggressive testing, a significant part of our budget goes back into quality control. Um, we, we, you know, we are the only supplement company, the Mayo Clinic will do research with. So the fact that we're not only are we doing research, which most companies don't do, we're not, we're not, there's some research out there where you kind of dictate the outcome you want. It's a little unethical, uh, but you'll see, you know, it's only one study and it's funded by that company and uh, wasn't peer reviewed, wasn't put out. It's kind of just a, what we call a white paper. Um, you know, it just, hey, we proved that our product is great by designing a, a study that proves our product is great, uh, you know, regardless of, of what other things are actually happening. Um, so that's, that's really important. Like the fact that I said that we manufacture, so we have that control, but we also take a, a lot of pride in our, uh, making sure that every form of the ingredient in our product is the most absorbable and the most, uh, readily used by the product. Cause it, it's great. You know, we always say you are what you eat, but, uh, we've taken it a little bit further. You are what you eat and can, and can absorb. Right. And that's the problem with a lot of supplements. So we don't use binders. We don't use fillers. Um, you know, whereas, few ingredients as possible in our in our product so uh <clears throat> one of the, one of the things that happens is in order to speed up a production line or increase um you know kind of yield how much you can kind of get a lot of supplements companies will add binders and fillers and and whatnot to kind of make that tablet fit everything in that tablet and and, and in doing so they they can uh impact absorbability uh so there's kind of a joke in the in the uh, medical field, specifically nursing homes, they call them uh, they call vitamins uh, bedpan bullets uh, because they just go through you and they're they're not absorbed at all. You know, so it's kind of well, yeah, you may be able to get you know a vitamin D for you know half the price of thorn. You've got to take six pills to get to one absorbability um, equivalent of a thorn product. So that's where you you know, as you said, yeah, I've been taking you know, uh, probiotics are, I've been taking curcumin for, for years and I really felt it. It's because you're getting, you know, the efficacious dose for once, you know, and that, that's a problem we see a lot is people are like, oh, I don't know if it's working. Generally you should be feeling something. There is an impact if you're absorbing it. And you, if you needed the supplement, you are using it. There generally should be a, a response there. Right. And, and too many companies, it's not, it, the intent is there. You're doing everything right. And, it, you know, it's my job to stay on top of the industry you know, full-time and on top of the research and it's, it's a full-time job, you know, so you can imagine. And now with the, the wealth of information or misinformation available 
uh, it's really hard to find. Uh, you know, I struggle sometimes to, uh, you know, when, when doing a little bit of research, I'll, I'll get a little bit further into an art. I was like, well, this is not, this is not science, you know? So it's so well disguised now uh, that the layperson, it's pretty hard to find that information. Yeah. I listened to an interview with um, Joel Salatin on Joe Rogan's show the other day, and he, he used an analogy as far as the cost of his meat, his, you know, holistically raised, grass-fed, you know, organic um, beef on his farm uh, when it's per pound. And he said, yeah, it might seem a little bit more when, you know, for per pound compared to what you see in the store, he said, but think about a Snickers. Like a Snickers might be a buck and a half, but how many Snickers does it take to to create the same mass in your stomach as a pound of ground beef? And then what's the nutrition element of that? And I thought that was that was a good analogy for supplements. Like the the label might say, you know, thirty grams of protein, but like you said, if you're not absorbing it, then you're just peeing it out the other side. So when you look at the actual absorption, it totally reframes the cost of a product. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's, it's really, and that's, that's where we've, we, you know, put a lot of our, our money is in, in the research and, you know, it's, it's in a good way, frustrating on our side, on the research and design, we'll have this great idea, the science is coming out, but you know, it can take up to two years to get a product to market. Uh, Cause we have to make sure that, you know, the day you get it, you know, the day it's off the line until, and we have, we'll, you know, again, to our, so our profit margins uh, loss will will end our product. Our ex- we'll put our expir- expiration date well before we legally probably could. And you know, there's some companies that don't even put a final date on there, but that's because due to our testing, this is the last day we feel comfortable knowing that it has the exact same efficacy efficacy as it does the day it comes off the line. Um, that that's another rarity too. Is you know, I think I think a lot of us uh, have had the. Uh, you know, the bottle where we were going to take it every day. And then, you know, now it's two years later, we're like, eh, it probably works. Right. Uh, but you know, like there is a reason why we put a, an expiration date on, a, on our products and, uh, you know, stand behind that. So there's some science there too, because even the best design product for some of these, they just, you know, denature over time. So yeah, no, it's super important to know. And it's, it, I always look at, you know, uh, you know, whey proteins, the, the classic one, um, you know, if you, if you do a little digging into the absorbability of the different forms of whey protein and you get, you know, the usable amount of actual protein per 20 gram scoop, it, it comes out that paying a little bit extra for the, the high quality isolate is more cost effective because you, you have to use half as much or, or, you know, three times, three, a third, a third less than you do the, the kind of less quality protein source. So, uh, yeah, it is, it is kind of game, but you have to know enough to look there. Right. And it's, you know, the same thing as food, there's nutrient dense, like you said, the, you know, the fat content and the, the healthful impact of the fat content of that organic grass fed beef, uh, even if it were a price comparison exactly to, you know, uh, a lesser quality meat, the, the diet of the animal is richer. So the outcome of the meat is richer. So the outcome of the body is richer. So again, yeah, hundred percent, it's, it's a very similar process but the the quality you put in you know kind of dictates the quality you put out absolutely well i want to reframe i mean you have so many national teams that trust you as their their source i think one of the big ones that struck me i watched a friend of mine fight in the ufc the other day and there was thorn and and you guys are telling me how now you're you know the trusted um supplement for the ufc after all the issues they've had with these claims of accidental you know false positives 
Um, so Wes, I want to put it to you now that that's the kind of professional space, bringing it back to a lot of the people that are listening now. Um, you have a huge, huge, um, spectrum of supplements, you know, so when people start going on the website, they're, they're going to be lost at first. But one of the things I think that's very important is you have home test kits as well. So for, the average person listening, you know, tell me the route from discovering Thorn to how they kind of figure out which of these products would probably be most applicable to themselves. Sure. So you're exactly right. There are a ton of products out there. Um, for most of those in our athletic space, we kind of simplify that by really steering them towards the, the NSF certified, you know, the third party tested, uh, even though all of our products, uh, basically they go through the same level of testing from start to finish. Um, we do the extra level of testing, uh, for the sport products because of the, uh, you know, the drug testing, uh, that's involved, even though again, not one single ingredient in any of our, you know, some close to 400 products, um, you know, contain a, uh, a substance that's on that, that's on that banned list. But we do kind of consolidate that down to, uh, probably the most, uh, the most used product in the, in the sports space and, and kind of keep, keep it simple like that. We've also tried to simplify it, um, even further by creating bundles. Uh, so folks can go on uh, the website and look at things and say, Oh, you know, a sleep bundle or recovery bundle or whatever the case may be and, and see um, our products that we bundle in usually uh, groups of three to four products that they can then kind of look at and, and helps take some of the, uh, the guesswork out um, for them. Uh, so we also um, have a, uh, like you said, at-home testing kits. And those testing kits uh, are things because we believe that healthcare is 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 moving to the home, right? So people don't want to go to the doctor's office. They don't want to, you know, kind of get their their blood drawn, uh, those sorts of things. So what we've done is kind of created these these kits that you can kind of do in your home, and and really the um, kind of the 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 impetus behind that is. We want individuals to be able to, to kind of do everything from the comfort of their home. So you can you can either be feeling a certain way and say, oh, gosh, because our testing kits, um, you know, they'll run the gamut of like we've got fertility tests. We have heavy metals tests. Uh, we have sleep tests and stress tests and um, thyroid tests and vitamin D tests. So we have kind of all these tests. So if you're like kind of feeling a little bit off and you suspect something, uh, you can go online, order a test, uh, take the test at home, mail it in, get your results all on a, uh, on a web-based HIPAA compliant platform. Uh, you can read about uh, your results and, and kind of some of the uh, interventions that we're recommending. And the beauty about Thorn is um, just because you take a kit, you know, some, some of these companies, they get pretty creative. It's like you take our testing kit and all of a sudden, you need six or 10 or 12 of our products uh, in order to live to the next month. Uh, whereas Thorn, you'll take the test and whatever the results will say, we really talk about, you know, lifestyle and exercise. We talk about what you'll get from, from eating foods and 
Then if you're not getting everything, um, you know, out of the foods and you need a, um, a reliable source of such and such a product, uh, here's where, here's where you can, you can get it. So in some cases it may be, you don't need anything. Uh, your test all came back and, and you're doing great. Keep doing what you're doing. So it's a really kind of honest look into what's really going on, uh, inside you. Again, if you're dealing with those issues or you're, or you're thinking, uh, you know, that you might, might have a, uh, an, an issue or a deficiency somewhere, you can take the, the, the kit to, to really find out. Then once you find out what we want to do is we want to have all of the resources in place, um, and, and lined up, uh, for you to, to kind of take action. So they're real actionable, um, uh, interventions that you can that you can look at. Stop doing this. Do more of this, or or keep doing that. So it's it's really a uh, broken down uh, into. And we were joking, you know, before we got on uh, about uh, education and 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 intellect and and just kind of experience in this space. So it really breaks it down in terms that that people like me who I don't have a background in dietetics. I don't have a background, uh, in medicine or, or science. Um, but it breaks it down in a way that even, uh, people like me who don't have those backgrounds can understand and, and, and really, uh, kind of implement some of those solutions. So it's a, it's a really good way to, to really take a deep dive into what's going on internally and then have some very easy to understand, uh, very easy to follow protocols uh, that uh, you know that kind of lead you down that that pathway to uh, to feeling better. Yeah, and I think that's such a great option um, because I've talked about you know blood tests, blood tests, and blood work with several people on the show, and what a great panel to have. However, for the average person getting that done, as I found out myself, like your average GP doesn't even know how to order, <laughs> you know, a right. high level blood panel. You know, a lot of these, these blood draw places, you can't just go and say, Hey, can I get this done? You have to have a referral and it becomes so complicated. So to get that, to get people headed in the right direction, I think is incredible. And I will always say the same thing as you did, you know, focus on, you know, your sleep before you worry about testosterone therapy. You know, there's, there's so many precursors for natural, um, you know, nutrition and movement and, 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 uh, mindful practice and all these things. However, let's be also realistic. The men and women that are listening to this podcast, whether they're working in a hospital as a first responder in, in the military, we don't always have the option of going to bed every night. We might be awake all night on shift. We don't have the option to holistically raised organic food when, you know, we're, we're, we're told to stay another shift because they're understaffed and we, the only thing in our, area is a mcdonald's you know so i think that the supplementation and everyone's going to have their own uh needs but i think reliable um you know trustworthy supplementation that's aimed at a specific area rather than one pill fits all is a very very valuable tool for the men and women that are out there serving their communities yeah 100 percent. and when you look at things like that uh, and again, what what we're really what we really push at Thorn is we're not we're, we push education, uh, we push content for for people to kind of go read and understand. Um, and really, what we want to be is that reliable source that 
if you need something, um, really know the difference between what a good company looks like, what a bad company looks like, what a good product looks like, what a bad company looks like. We never say, hey, go buy Thorn, go buy Thorn. Uh, we never do that. We, we try to provide you uh, with enough information for you to um, be armed to go and kind of do your own detective work. And our hope is that you'll be able to connect those dots back and, say, and see that, hey, here is a good source. So all we're saying is if you need it, we want to be a resource for you uh, to kind of get a, a source that's, that's reliable, that's dependable that's clean, that works, and that's going to keep you safe and, um, and, and do uh, the things in your body that you, you know, would hope that it would do. So that is one of the things, again, that uh, just another one of those things that's, that's very important for us. It's, it's really about pushing content and, and information and education, letting people draw those conclusions. And then ultimately, if you need a resource, we want to be that resource for you. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, just to, for everyone listening as well, I've had supplement companies approach me multiple times to, you know, to be endorsed on this podcast. And I've always said, no, I mean, the CBD that I use, Red Pill, is the similar kind of journey that you guys have been through. And it's from a very holistic background through a pain management doctor in LA who used CBD for years to get people off opiates, you know, and his, he gets third party tested and it's organic and it's guaranteed no THC. So they're not failing drug tests in the first responder community. So I completely stand by him. But, you know, I sought you out because, you know, Jeff and, and Bert Sorin is another one. I mean, these are men that I hugely respect. And then when I realized that this was a completely different arena than, you know, the the Instagram influencer protein industry that's out there. Um, this is, you know, an invaluable tool for the men and women that, you know, that listen to this. That is, you know, why I, I want to, to do this episode. I want to bring this because this isn't about, you know, um, this isn't an advert. This is this is a conversation to bring another safe product that will improve the wellness. I mean, whether it's as we talked about earlier, sleep deprivation or TBIs or you know what whatever ailment we are assaulted and and you know, use the analogy of the ten mile an hour car crash. That's exactly what happens to us every single day. So the you know the tactical athlete does need to to bolster wherever you know the wherever they need kind of cribbing, where they need a, a lift in their overall wellness. And if they're able to do it without any supplementation, fantastic. But it's also very important for them to know that there are also um, products out there that they can use and they can trust that are actually going to deliver, you know, what they're hoping they've just paid for and, and can bring that element of their wellness back up to where it needs to be. Yeah, and part of our challenge is we're, we've been this well-kept secret and what we're trying to do now is 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 through these kind of relationships and things because a lot of companies will partner with sport teams or individuals or whatever to raise the profile of, of who they are and, and they do that in many cases because their products can't stand on their own two feet at thorn we don't need anyone to validate us um because we've already got that validation from uh, you know, from, from giants in this, in this space. 
And I think, uh, you know, to your point, some of the, 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 the people, the individuals that you mentioned uh, who kind of do their due diligence in, in looking at these products, um, you know, are, are real advocates and, and, and for a good reason. So what we're trying to do is, is like we, we do these relationships, we do these partnerships, one, because we want to help athletes. That's, that's first and foremost. Uh, but secondly, we want people to be aware that that we exist and and that there is a reliable source out there that you can count on and and depend on. Um, so having um, things like this, like 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 being on on um, on your program and and partnering with uh, some of those uh, some of those sport entities, um, first and foremost to help. Secondly, to kind of get the word out about who we are and what we do. Um, so that others can can then be helped and uh, and have resource uh, and access to um, uh, just just a reliable uh, entity that is that is really looking out for them. Yeah, well, I want to thank you as well. You've offered everyone listening um, a discount on their first order. So if people are intrigued and want to want to try one of the products, the code is BTS, as in behind the shield, BTS. One zero, so BTS ten, and they will get ten percent off their first order. So thank you for that, because obviously you know that's that's a, a gift to the people listening. But I can't stress highly enough, you know, how important it is to find um, a company with such diverse options, because it might be that someone you know just needs nootropics. They might need you know some some help with unwinding in the day with with reducing inflammation, and obviously your regular supplements that are out there they're just protein or they're just you know creatine or maybe a couple of them but this is an overall spectrum of wellness so joel i just want to bring it back over to you is there anything you want to add before we we wrap this conversation up no i think i think one thing you you made a really good point about is um you know sometimes that the access to quality food you know i'm a dietitian food first too but a lot of the supplementation we do is is kind of as as a backup plan so it, it is okay like, yeah, you, you shouldn't be planning your entire nutrition around supplementation. But like, like you said, when you're at whatever's in the hospital cafeteria or, you know, you're pulling a, a second shift, you know, as a first responder, uh, it's okay to, to have a plan with supplement as your kind of backup plan. So uh, I think there's some hesitation there uh, in the community to, to lean on supplements as that answer. But it's uh, where we do a lot of our work for sure. So I think that was a valid point to bring up. Absolutely. And then just one more tangent for you before before we make sure everyone knows where they can find Thorn. As a dietitian, with this uh, current problem we have with the COVID crisis, what is your um, uh, philosophy on improving the nutrition in the West in general to make a more resilient population in the future? Yeah, I think um, I think there's there's been a little bit of a, a positive not positive is not the right word, uh, but, uh, people being forced to be a, a lot more intentional about their food supply. Um, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who have taken this opportunity to learn to cook, even if it's just the basics. Right. And, and it's, a, amazing. I, I, and if someone tell me where the, you know, the first generation that has had nonstop access to the food network, but yet we cook the least, right. Which is kind of, kind of crazy to think about. So I think there, there that has been a major positive for me, but you know, as people are taking a little bit more, stock in their health and what are they doing every day so there's been a lot of introversion um and a lot of uh kind of movement towards personal health and taking control you know because my you know my grandparents generation it was the doctor knew everything you know 
but he, he had one specialty and thousands of patients, you know, and realizing that you have to really be an advocate for your own healthcare and understanding your, your specific situation and how it relates to, uh, to your performance, to your health. But yeah, no, I think, I think there's been a focus on increased nutrient density, making sure that there is a kind of reason behind every food that you eat. Um, and kind of, are you checking the boxes every day, which I think we've gotten away from, you know, a lot of us, uh, eat because it's it's that time of the day you know and not really realizing you know what the long-term effect of that is and am, am i checking all my boxes and if not you know what can i do to to get my my nutrient levels and my health to optimal levels absolutely all right well i want to say thank you to both of you now where can people find thorn online so we're very easy to find just www.thorn.com uh, and that's Thorn with an E, so T H O R N E, Thorn.com. And there's all sorts of uh, kind of navigation tools on there, whether you are uh, an athlete or just kind of like an everyday person that wants to um, wants to feel better. But we've got our bundles on there, our testing kits, uh, those NSF certified for sport products. So it, it there's really a wealth of information on there. Uh, some quizzes that you can take if you've got questions about, uh, you know, which probiotic is is best for me, uh, et cetera. So thorn.com, uh, you should be able to uh, to find just about everything you need and then some. Brilliant. Well, I want to say thank you so much. It's been a great conversation. I could talk for hours more. I have so many questions in my head, but <laughs> we're uh, an hour and 40 minutes. So I want to let you guys go, but thank you for, you know, telling both your stories. And, and, you know, I'm so glad that I found you, like you said, I, I, I didn't see you before because you were in that medical space. And, and now through my friends discovering, you know, Thorn as a company and then, and then getting to talk to you, I think it's very important that the story is told. So thank you for being so generous with your time today. Well, thank you. And anytime, and we would love to, uh, to kind of come back, uh, and, and talk more, uh, whenever it's, uh, when it's appropriate and, uh, and timely. So, uh, really appreciate you and, and, and kind of what you're doing, uh, with your program. So anything that we can do to, uh, to add any value, we are here and, uh, happy to contribute. Yeah, Wes said it best. So I, I appreciate your time. Thanks for having us on, and uh, thanks for introducing us to your audience. We uh, hopefully we can uh, you know supplement their knowledge even more in the future. <laughs> <laughs>